the root word of passion is passio, which in Latin means suffering. So when you ask, what is your passion? It's, well, what are you willing to suffer for? What am I willing to put in long nights, early mornings, weekends, give up holidays for? Well, what, what am I willing to sacrifice for? MMA podcasting is not that thing. I, I thought that it might, and so I went all in on it for a while. Then I realized that that's not the thing. I can never stop if you put me in the square I square up like a box good people bad intentions the tail of the tape see the passion in my eyes the real ones can relate I said I'm a champion I can never stop if you put me in the square I square up like a box good people bad intentions the tail of the tape see the passion in my eyes the real ones can relate Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 45 of the Good People, Bad Intentions podcast. My name is Matthew Pine, and our guest this week is Troy Farkas. And Troy is an MMA podcast producer, and now he's also an author. Not too long ago, August 18th, he published his first book titled Surrender, A Guide to Living Your Best Life in, the 20, in Your 20s. I have a copy of this book right here. You'll notice on the cover of this book, we have actually a, a quote from Ariel Helwani, uh, somebody who's inspired me to do this podcast as well as go to school for journalism. Uh, the, the quote says, Troy has an abundance of knowledge and wisdom to share. And there's also a foreword by the bad guy himself, Chael Sonnen. And I'm really excited to talk with Troy. Of course, I do want to talk about MMA and the UFC and actually some some news that just broke about uh, TKO, the, the or, this organization that's going to be merging um, UFC and WWE. It's now official. They've now merged as a company. And uh, also, I'd love to, of course, talk to him about his podcast, The Found Generation, which is kind of like with this book. It's all targeted towards people in their 20s, although it could really be for anybody. Um, and, and also, lastly... I want to talk to him, of course, about this book, Surrender. So without further ado, guys, here's Troy. All right. Well, welcome, Troy, to uh, Good People, Bad Intentions. How are you doing? Thank you for having me, Matt. It's been a bit of a stressful day, but we're here. Put one foot after the other, making mistakes, learning from them. That's kind of uh, the mantra for me. So I'm great. I am great. And I hope you are great as well. I'm not doing uh, that bad today. I just came out of uh, school. I've been studying journalism in my second year. Um, it's really awesome to have the opportunity to talk to you because I feel like you really had the opportunity to speak to a lot of uh, people that I'm very much envious of. And I uh, just want to talk to you, of course, about your experience and, and everything that you're doing. I'm uh, just curious. So you are currently in Portsmouth, New Hampshire? Yes, that is correct. How long have you been been there? Because I know you've you've traveled to a few different locations yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah, so I just moved back to Portsmouth. I moved here in June, the day of UFC 289, actually, which was a fun time trying to figure out how to watch that. Uh, but I actually lived in Portsmouth for a year as well, from August 21 to August 22. Uh, just kind of chose a spot on a map. I'm a big history nerd. There's a lot of history here. I, I wanted to be close to Boston, but not in Boston. So I like Portsmouth a lot. Then I left for a couple of reasons, went and traveled the world and then decided that I wanted some stability again. And then I was like, you know what? 
I really liked Portsmouth. I feel like I had unfinished business there. Let's go back there. So here we are. And are you originally from New York? I'm from upstate New York. Yeah, the upstate? Albany area, which is the capital. People don't know that, but Albany is the capital of New York. 518 area code? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. So, um, hey, I'm really glad to you know have this connection. I'm from based in Canada. You're based in the States right now. Um, what I'm really excited to talk to you about, of course, is, um, you know, that, that you do a lot of podcast producing, um, and then you have a podcast of your own. Um, I know that you've done, you do the ringer MMA show you produce there, got the likes of Ariel Hawani there as well. Mm -hmm. You do, uh, some producing for DC and RC. Uh, no, not, I used to, uh, but I left to? ESPN a couple years ago. Okay. Um, and then Smack Talk with Sandu. Yes. Okay. Which actually, um, in my prep for this interview, I actually did go and watch uh, one of your recent episodes with him. I think he did a really great job. Really well-spoken. Uh, really good interviewer. So it's yeah. really hard to follow up with him. But he's And he's really got the British interview. accent, too. I mean, you're, you're up against it with that. <laughs> I mean, how beautiful is that? Yeah. So... Having this experience, I also um, you you also did some freelance with uh, Chael Sonnen, correct? Yeah. Okay. So I'm just curious, having this experience working in the MMA podcast world, uh, in your opinion, like what kind of sets a good MMA podcast apart from others? Well, you've got to first and foremost, it's the knowledge. You've got to know the ins and outs of the sports. I can't tell you how many fighters do interviews with outlets that don't know who they are really like hands down don't know who the fighter is that they're researching have never seen a fight of theirs don't really know anything about their bio and so you ha just have a lot of uninformed people in this space and so the number one rule is know your fighters know who you're talking to know what you're talking about know all the proper terminology mma is its own language in itself so you just got to be prepared and, and all of the hosts that I work with, they know the sport in and out all the fighters. I mean, the UFC itself has five, six, 700 people on the roster and they know how to pronounce their names, even though no matter how insignificant they are in the, the grand scape of MMA, they, my hosts know who these guys are, their stories, their most previous wins and losses, a little bit of their stories. So, uh, yeah, you got to be prepared. That That's number one. It makes me think about, you know, the fact that MMA is still, you know, a relatively new sport. And I've watched a lot of interviews, even in the even present, but mostly in the past, where the interview is more about the sport than the actual individual yeah. and what they're doing. Like, you know, they're contemplating boxing versus MMA and whether the sport was legitimate or not. I'm just curious, how do you see the sport evolving now? Do you feel like it's becoming more and more legitimate? Yeah, I'm really excited to see where this sport goes. I'm still a newbie in this. I've only been following the sport for about 40 years, just over that. And so I got in kind of at the moment where it started to turn. The post-McGregor era, the ESPN Plus era, the COVID era, which made it skyrocket in the legalization of of sports gambling, which gambling and combat sports go hand in hand. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. I mean, uh, at, at the day that me and you were talking a day ago, 
TKO officially merged WWE and UFC together. I mean, that is crazy to see Dana White and crew, the New York Stock Exchange, ringing the bell and on Wall Street. I mean, to think where this sport has been, where it is now and to where it's going. I mean, I think there's a world where in the next decade, I'm, I'm sorry to hear, you know, with you being in Canada and being a hockey fan, I assume, where the MMA takes the place of hockey in uh, American sports as kind of that fourth sport. And, you know, baseball in, in the U.S. has been, it, it's had a little bit of an, an uptick this year because they have succeeded in making the pace of play faster. But I'm not surprised if MMA overtakes baseball in the next 10 to 15 years too, where you're, you know, where you're talking where MMA is the third most popular sport in, in the United States. That would not surprise me. And, and the growth of the sport since the early to mid-90s to now, Crazy, absolutely crazy. I want to say you kind of, th- this is unfortunate, but out of all the Canadians that you could talk to, I'm not the biggest hockey fan. <laughs> and weirdly enough, MMA slash boxing, I'm, I'm more into boxing, to be honest, uh, as far as competing and doing some boxing stuff. But I'm one of those guys that just got into MMA or boxing like <clears throat> later in their life and mm. wasn't into sports before. And uh, I really appreciate um, someone like yourself, um, as well as some other journalists um, who have a a good foundation in all sports and are able to kind of talk about that. Because I'm I'm always uh, feeling like kind of lost in those kind of discussions, you know, the the banter, the back and forth about a game coming in before the MMA talk, etc. Like, I'm really lost. And yeah. I don't know a whole lot about those. We're kind of those... the the outcasts of the of the sporting world, although it's it, we're closing that gap now. It, it used to be if you were an MMA fan or if you were a gambler, you were afraid to talk about that. You were afraid that you would get judged as some type of barbarian loser. You spend your weekends watching people fight each other for sport. But luckily, I think we're uh, we're changing the narrative and the perception around it, which is really exciting. And I just wanted to, to ask you, because I do realize that you've done um, other sports prior, I, I imagine you also still keep up and, and do work in other sports. But, you know, wh- what has the transition been like for you going from, uh, I believe you were doing some some things with uh, baseball and, mm-hmm. and basketball. What was it like making that transition? Yeah, so I produced Baseball Tonight with Buster Olney the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst and also the Woj Pod with Adrian Wojnarowski, who are all those three guys are respective top names in the industries of, of baseball and basketball, top reporters, journalists with massive podcast followings, massive social media followings, the top newsbreakers in their sport. It was such an amazing experience to work with all of them, and they're all great guys. But then I found this thing called MMA. Uh, I stumbled into it. I, I didn't mean to. It was just kind of a sign to me, right? When ESPN got the UFC deal, we had just signed Ariel Hawani around then. I was new to the podcasting department. I was at ESPN Radio, moved over to ESPN Podcasting. My bosses were essentially like, hey, Troy, uh, we don't really know what this MMA thing is. You're the young guy here. You don't have a say. Go do this thing. I was like, oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, and then, so then I just kind of got forced into it and I'm watching Ariel's show. I'm hearing the fighter stories and I'm thinking to myself, wow, all right, these guys are, these guys are different. Still had no interest really in watching, but then one of the guys that I had been, uh, listening to by force on Ariel's show was a guy by the name of Israel Adesanya. And so I'm working at ESPN one night and the UFC is on the TV and it's 
Gastelum versus Adesanya. And I'm like, you know what? Let me watch this thing. I've never wa- really watched a fight before. Uh, I've heard this Adesanya guy before. I like what he's about. Let's watch. And then you know the story from there. I mean, five-round war, one of the best fights of the last five years, one of my top five favorite fights. And that was the that was the thing that made me fall in love with it, with, with Izzy and the sport in general. And I'm heartbroken that he lost to Sean Strickland. I'm still I'm perplexed as to how that happened. That wasn't the Izzy I know. But besides the point, MMA had me from then because these are different kinds of athletes. These are not your generic, you know, these are not your LeBron Jameses, your Dak Prescotts, your your Pat Mahomes, very media trained, very I'm going to not do or say anything to piss anyone off. Everyone loves me. I can do no wrong. And you don't really have that much window into their personality and what they're really like and what they believe in. But here's these MMA fighters on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. They're not corporatized at all like these major athletes are. They say what they want. They sell themselves. It's a in the, a part of their livelihood to sell themselves, to help sell the pay-per-views. Those other guys' contracts, they're guaranteed. They cannot play for an entire season, and they get all of their money. If you don't fight, you don't make a living. If you don't sell yourself, if you don't promote, if you're not making your own content on, on podcasts and YouTube channels and social media, you're going to fall behind. And so these guys and girls, they have to operate differently. And I really like that. And I also like, speaking of girls, how kind of equalized it is men and women. So I mean, as fans, we are just as interested in the women's game as we are the men's game. You can't say that for the other major sports. So there's a bevy of reasons as, as to why I, I love MMA, but it's just, it's different. It's primal. It brings something out of you. I think it's the hardest sport in the world. We have that commenta- uh, conversation all the time. What's the hardest sport? I think it's MMA. 25 minutes, five, five, five minute rounds, and a guy or girl can take you down or punch you or kick you. How do you handle that? It's crazy. And the things that they put their bodies through just to get to fight night, well, they just have my utmost admiration, and their stories are just incredible. I wanted to to react to what you're saying about um, Israel Adesanya and uh, the last fight that happened with Sean Strickland and winning, um, getting the middleweight title. Um, because Israel is, in my opinion, a really good hybrid of what has gone through the UFC, whether like the post Connor era and whatnot. And uh, he's somebody that has a really good personality. Uh, he's very skilled. Um, and he's very much somebody who likes to interact with the fans and and does a really good job there. And I don't know I don't know if you agree with this because um, I had I had seen that you've uh, you know done a video on, on your podcast about uh, a Sugar Sean and and I feel like Sugar Sean and in, in Israel Adesanya they've kind of, they kind of own their own brand and and media. Uh, which is a little bit unlike other fighters because I know, like with Adesanya, he had refused quite a few interviews in the in lately, um, leading up to his fight, so that he can you know promote his YouTube channel and what his brother has been doing with that channel. What do you what do you make of that? Being as somebody that's in in media, like these fighters that now are like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to do interviews. I I want to do my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, there's a couple of reasons. And I actually know firsthand that Israel loves to do in-person and only in-person stuff. He doesn't like the virtual stuff because he likes the connection. He wants you to feel his presence and he wants to feel your presence. 
he, like many other fighters, are very big on not getting their words twisted. And I'm not, you know, going to uh, talk smack about MMA journalists, but I will say that there's definitely some journalists who are not worried about the best interests of the fighters, are only worried about getting their own clicks and their own viral videos and their own notoriety. They don't actually care about the fighters. So I really like a guy like O'Malley and Izzy and many others who are putting out their own content and refusing kind of the the traditional media outlets, not saying yes to everything anymore, like you do when you are kind of building up your career and you just say yes to every opportunity. But then you reach a point where, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. Well, let me tell my own story. And I think that's what Izzy's doing. I, I don't think he or Suga have necessarily anything against doing interviews. It's just, I'm the author of my own story. We want to control our narratives as much as possible. We don't want to put our lives in the hands of other people. We don't want, uh, you know, we want to make our own money our own way and not be beholden to anyone else. And we also just like they're they're creative individuals. Obviously, you see that in the way they fight and the way they go about them. So they are creative. There is this kind of artistic need for them. You know, Israel is a dancer. He has this thing in him where he just wants to create stuff for the fans. They both put out such high quality stuff. O'Malley's been doing it uh, so well for so long. He, I think he's the best in the business at putting out content and, and building a brand. So I think that's that's why they do it. And they have my utmost admiration. And I hope as many fighters continue to look at them as examples and say, you know what? I can be the author of my own story. And uh, that's awesome. I, you know, Because again, we know with the UFC, you're kind of... You're, you're kind of hamstrung in terms of what you can do and how and how much you can make off of your own name versus how much the UFC makes off of your name. So I just think guys just want to make their own money their own way and not have to rely on the UFC for it. I know you talked also earlier about um, TKO and the merger between the UFC and WWE. And I know that UFC president or I guess now uh, CEO – TK, <laughs> yeah, what is he TKO, now? I actually don't know. Chief executive, uh, TKO. Uh, but Dana White, wow. you know, he's come, you know, a lot of people like to say he kind of contradicts himself a bit when he when he wants to not put on gimmicky fights or mm. these kind of non-competitive fights sometimes that happen in the, in the UFC. But, you know, one thing that I, I wanted to ask you is, you know, as much as, WWE and and the UFC might share some you know things as far as the the theatrics that happen you know before and after a fight. Uh, do you, is there any concern about you know sports and entertaining being entertainment being mixed up in a in a business? Is there actually a concern there for for that? In terms of this deal affecting the in octagon product i don't really see that happening i think this is just purely a business and financial move that is ultimately made to help grow both companies wwe and ufc just now under this banner but in terms of our you know is is the integrity of the sport compromised are we now going to be worried about match fixing are we now going to have predetermined outcomes like we have in professional wrestling I don't think fans need to worry. I know there's all sorts of fantasy scenarios. Is Brock Lesnar going going to UFC 300 or whatever? Like, is Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar going to fight in the cage? Like, I, 
listen, I, I don't think any of that stuff is happening. You'll probably see some, you know, WWE promos on UFC broadcasts and and vice versa. And like uh, Nick Khan said the other day, okay, yeah, maybe there's it's an easier path now for a retired UFC fighter to go compete in WWE or vice versa, I suppose. Um, but I think that's to the extent of it. We're not getting crazy here. Fan, MMA fans, your UFC is still going to be the UFC that you've always known. You're going to get the best fights, great fights, great matchups, great highlight reels and, and entertaining nights. What I hope is that, um, you know, I'm not a pro wrestling fan, but I do understand that they put on wild shows like they put on spectacles, especially if you're in the arena. The UFC already does that. I'm blown away by the UFC's production, both in the arena and TV, but apparently WWE is just a next level. If we can get even more theatrical and even more next level in the UFC, like WWE, that would be cool. Yeah, I could see that being a really good thing for the UFC and this brand because it's already been doing such a great job. I will say kind of the, I know a lot of people bring this up, but kind of the uniformity that had happened around the Reebok deal and, and ESPN, et cetera, you know, it kind of takes away a little bit of the the creativity sometimes yeah. with the entrances. And to me, entrances are probably one of the coolest parts of sports in general, like any sport. Um, like like you mentioned hockey uh, earlier, and, and I'm not a fan of hockey, but I'm a fan of hockey entrances. I don't know if it's <laughs> like the lights. The Sometimes they get these cool displays on the ice while they're going around. It looks like flames are coming and whatnot. So... Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you you answering that because uh, I, I didn't really have the concern about the fixing, but I did have this concern that, you know, Dana uh, kind of coming on record saying, you know, that that they're very com always trying to put on competitive fights, etc. And I was just like, well, when you have also, you can't really have both. So you can't have you know, putting on competitive fights all the time and then also putting like fan entertainment yeah. fights, you know, it's, it's kind of like trying to serve two different masters there. Yeah. Um, I don't, th I don't think the way that they approach matchmaking is going to change at all. I don't think you need to worry, but it's definitely better than boxing. I will, I will have to admit that the, the matchmaking in the yeah. UFC, there isn't a lot of, uh, well, there isn't any uh, easy fights. Everything is very well uh, matchmaked, and, and I really appreciate that about the sport, and I think that's why it keeps growing so much. So, um, of course, we mentioned Ariel Hawani, and I'm just kind of curious what your first encounter was like with the great Ariel Hawani. <laughs> Let's see. So, yeah, we had an interesting first few months together. Uh, when I was just assigned to him and he was great to me and very welcoming to me, but we actually at our ESPN studio, we're having some crazy audio issue and this, I'm going to go super audio nerd here. So I'm, I'm sorry. Feel everyone. Free. Uh, there was some issue where like there was this weird, annoying humming noise in the background of Ariel's show. Uh, at that time, Ariel Hawaii's MMA show was the ESPN version of the MMA hour. And I didn't know what it was and was showing up in the podcast. And on the back end of the podcast, I was trying to do anything I could to try to just eliminate like this piercing noise that was so annoying and that it was constantly there the entire time, not overshadowing the show, but just enough to really annoy you, just like a gnat in your ear, made it kind of unlistenable. And Ariel is kind of like an audio purist, so he hated it. So 
Uh, I was just trying every which way to get rid of this thing, whether it's in editing or like, is it the wires? Let me move the wires. Is it the, is it the lighting? Is there something going on with the lights? Who can I talk to? What technician can I call? What, what weird branch of ESPN that I didn't know even existed can I contact to come fix this problem? So after several weeks of navigating that, we eventually fixed the problem. And I think he, that was like when something, uh, you know, a, a light switch for him, no pun intended, that I was going to go extra lights for him, that I was going to work hard for him. And he loves people like that. And once you're, I, I didn't, I didn't do this as a way to like suck up or get in his inner circle or in his good graces. I was just like, this is just annoying me and making my job a living hell. Uh, and I want to make him happy and make everyone happy and just be done with this. But he just really saw something in me. And from that moment, kind of took me under his wing. We started doing one pod podcast and two podcasts and then live shows together. Uh, we went to New York City together in Las Vegas. And we actually got to start spending some really like actual quality time together, getting to know one another. He was fascinated by me and all my weird quirks. And uh, yeah, he was he was so great to me at the beginning. And I mean, everything I have in my career is due to him. He's amazing to work for. Do we have our we have our squabbles? Of course, we we butt heads over small things. He's perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. But at the end of the day, like it's all love. We all care about making the best product. I've been with him for four years now. Uh, I ride or die with him. When when people talk poorly about him, it, it makes me upset. And uh, he wrote the the blurb to my book. He's on the cover and there's no one else I would rather have be in that spot. I, uh, I'm so grateful for him. To me, Ariel is, is the greatest uh, MMA journalist. And uh, I know that there's other people maybe they have their own opinions about about that um but the the thing that i really appreciate and and i'm just curious if this came across from day one but he looks at the M mma as one of the four sports mm. in his own mind because i feel like what has gotten him in in any trouble or anything like that is by really trying to hold the sport to that standard that Sometimes it is there and sometimes it isn't. Do you do you agree with that? That he did that kind of come across with with your experience with Ariel is that he really wants to bring the sport to the mainstream? Oh, absolutely. And it's you know at ESPN he used to get criticized um, both internally and and externally. And I know the UFC wasn't super happy with him. Uh, they accused him of being too negative about the sport which I thought was interesting because no one really, no one hypes up a lot of these fighters more than him. No one hypes up the sport and has sold more pay-per-views, uh, been responsible for selling more pay-per-views and more fights and convincing you to watch bad apex cards. Uh, he's been doing that for years. Yes. He does try to hold the sport of, of MMA to the same standards of the other sports that he loves. He's a huge NBA fan and he wants to see MMA, in that light because he ultimately cares about the fighters. Everything he does comes from a place of, I care about the fighters. Well, 99% of them, not the 1% who are being mean about him, but he cares about the 99% who are so open, who are so inspiring, who aren't making that much money to do what they do. Not like the other athletes that, uh, that we all adore who are putting their bodies through hell, who are fighting at midnight, who are going through 10 week, training camps who are cutting weight 
who are look, you know, going on the verge of death 24 hours before they're supposed to be in the best shape of their life. That's what he's trying to do. That's why he does everything he does. He he credits the the fans and the fighters for saving his career when it looked like in 2015, 16 that he wasn't going to be able to do this for a living anymore. Everything he does is for the fighters, and that's what inspires me so much is that he's uh, there's only one word you can use to describe Ariel Hawani, and that is loyal. He's loyal to anyone who's ever done anything for him, who has gone out of his way for him, and he's loyal to people who are good people and uh, are doing good things, and that's what a lot of these fighters are doing. With your with your connection um, to Ariel and, and, and how much importance he's been in your life and your career, um, I was really surprised to hear um, when you when you both left ESPN and I believe he had contacted you about working with the MMA hour and, and you, you had said no because you were at that time you were wanting to not stay in the in a room, a dark room for like five <laughs> hours. So like was that a very difficult decision for you to make as far as you know, somebody that you look up to, you know, being by them, by their side and working with them every day and, and having to, to do something else? No, it actually wasn't that tough of a decision. I didn't spend that much time thinking about it. Um, when he said that to me, there was no formal position. There was no job posting. It was just like, hey, I'm going to go do the MMA hour again. Can't make any promises, but would you want to be the audio guy? for it. And I said, essentially, thanks, but no thanks. A couple reasons. I didn't want to go sit in a dark studio for five, six hours. I, I had just done that uh, on our ESPN show. And I liked it. I had a good time doing it. But me, if you know me, which I know you don't, but take my word, I'm a very fidgety person. I like moving. I love exercise. Like plane rides are living hell for me because I feel so trapped and I can't just move and like go for a mile walk. So you can't do that when you're working on that show. You got to be locked in for several hours. You can't leave. You can't like, you got to sprint to the bathroom. You got to sprint to like, you can't eat. It's a whole thing that I just didn't really want to do. And I'm someone who's constantly looking to do new things and have new experiences. And so I just didn't want to repeat on top of that. I didn't want to move to New York City, which you had to. I had just done a year of working remotely, had just spent three months in Denver and then traveled up up and down the West Coast and had plans to go do more traveling. And I didn't want to pigeon my, pigeonhole myself into living in New York. I wanted to keep doing the remote thing. And thirdly, and most importantly, when I left ESPN, I had kind of sworn off the corporate world. I didn't want to work for any big corporations ever again, unless Spotify came calling. Because at that time, beginning of 2021, when I left ESPN, Spotify was clearly positioning itself as the world leader in the industry that I had just come to love, podcasting. It was clear that they were making all the right investments. They just purchased the Ringer, Joe Rogan podcast rights, Call Her Daddy, Alex Cooper podcast rights. So I knew Spotify seems like a place that I would go. And so I had heard from a little birdie that Ariel... And as he was carving out his next step post ESPN was talking to a bunch of different people. And one of those people was Bill Simmons at the ringer. And so light goes off in my head, Ariel, thank you, but no, thank you on working on the MMA hour. But I know you're talking to the ringer. I would love to go work there. I've been thinking about working there for a few years. Spotify owns the ringer. I would love to, if you end up there, you know, I'd much rather have you put your word in for me there than at the MMA hour. And that's exactly 
how it happened. I mean, do you feel like in a way you 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 got what you wanted up in the end of the day? Like you just waited it out. You you had an opportunity come. You said it wasn't like it wasn't for you, and then in the end, you kind of got what you what you wanted. Absolutely. I you know I do watch the MMA Hour on Mondays and Wednesdays, and I'm not gonna lie. There are some times where I I do wonder what if because they've got GC Connor Birch, who's one of my best friends. They've got New York Rick, who. Uh, I wish I had gotten more time to work with. I loved my short time working with him at ESPN. He's one of the best guys in the business. So such a, an incredible combination of, of smarts and, and talents and kindness and hair. I mean, look at that hair. And so I am, am just, <laughs> you know, jealous of that, um, that dynamic, that camaraderie that they have, because the downside of working remotely is you don't have that. You don't have the camaraderie with the coworkers. You know, I've got some some coworkers virtually that I hang out with, but it's nowhere near the same as what they're doing. So there are times where I do wonder, God, what if I had done that? Things could have been so much different. However, uh, I know what I gave up and I know what I've gained. And I know what the guys who work on that show don't they don't get to go travel the world. I, I know what my values are and I know, OK, I'm giving up that, but I'm also gaining so much more. I get to be in much more control of my time. And where I live, I get to do all these fun things and cool things. And I mean, I am very happy with my life right now. I'm very content with how everything is playing out. You mentioned the dynamic at the MMA hour. And I just wanted to quickly just bring this up because as I had mentioned earlier on, I'm going to uh, school for journalism. Uh, I'm in my second year. Um, I kind of started this program, this podcast inspired by what Ariel was doing. Also what Teddy Atlas does with the fight with Teddy Atlas mm-hmm. and a few of the fighting um, podcasts. Um, and I'm learning about, you know, being a producer, being a director, what a journalist does and all this stuff. And, and I watched that show and the dynamic that they have, uh, as far as like the producers coming in and talking and in between yeah. interviews and, it's like this new, this new uh, way of doing things. I don't know. I don't know if many podcasts do this, but I know in the TV world, like everything seems to be very yeah. separate. But then I find with this new way, like everybody that's a part of the team has a voice. They can voice their opinion. You know, Ariel asked Mysterious Frank, like, what do you think about something <laughs> randomly or whatnot? And you just as a, like, to be honest, those are my favorite moments of the show. Yeah, me too. To be honest. That's what makes Ariel so great. And he's, you know, you you said that this is kind of like a trend. Ariel's been doing this forever. He's all, he's had New York Rick on the air, given his picks or opinions uh, since the very beginning. Ariel, his greatest trait above all is his ability and desire to bring other people along the journey with him, to share in his success. That is something that I hope to mimic with with my career. He's brought me along. He's brought Eric along. He's bringing Connor along. He's bringing Frank along. I want to bring people along just like he has. He's given them the opportunity to, to blossom, to grow. It's, you know, Ariel's name was on the show, but it is very much a a shared product that they all take pride in. Ariel views a lot of talent that I've worked with view themselves as holier than thou, as above the producers, as I don't listen to you. You listen to me. Ariel is very easy to work with. And he just views himself as just just one of the guys. And that's exactly what that show, it has that kind of feel that it's just guys talking, having fun, uh, talking about MMA, talking about other nonsense. And 
yeah, it's, you know, they seem just like, yeah, I would love to go just grab a beer with them after the show. I wanted to relay some other things I've been learning in school. Um, my, my, my first year journalism teacher uh, told me this, this phrase that I'm curious if it resonates with you, but she told me, Matt, be a producer. And what that really meant was finding a way, finding mm. a way for things to happen. And <laughs> I know that you produce a lot of stuff and I know that there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes and I know that you're the person probably that if something goes wrong, that people turn to first. Yeah. So is that, has that impacted your everyday life being a producer? Yeah. Is, or is, is this something that you're taking along from your life into your, into your work practice? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I've never been asked that before. Uh, when you're a producer, you're, you're a number two, you're not the star. It's not built around you. It's not about you. You're the offensive line. You are not the quarterback. You are the first that everyone blames when something goes wrong. And when you do your job right, it's just like, well, well, that's what you're supposed to do. You expect credit for that. I have fallen into kind of adopting the producer mentality, the the beta mentality uh, through other areas of my life, kind of like in, in the dating world for a while or in the friendship world. Um I've I haven't necessarily had the confidence because I'm not the talent on screen getting the ratings, collecting the big checks. However, in the past year, I've really worked on that, and I've and I said to myself, "Well, you know what, Troy? Like you're the man. All right, you're an alpha. You look at all the stuff that you've done, the places you've been, the people you've met, the the accomplishments you've racked up, the shows with incredible reaches that you've worked on. Like you're the man. You're the alpha. So now, luckily, I'm in much." Uh, much more confident place in my life, but I wasn't for a while. And I think being a producer uh, had really kind of drilled that into me. Um, so yeah, that is funny though. Like the be, be a producer, I'd never really heard of that, but that's right. I mean, there's all, so many times where I just have to like, just figure it out, just figure it out on the fly. I, I, did, I produced a podcast a couple of weeks ago where our guest, we were using Riverside and he was like this 80 year old man. He had no idea what he's doing. Couldn't get him set up. We were on a time crunch. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm FaceTiming him and I'm holding him up to my computer. And the conversation is being had that way. Just like you just figure it out. Hey, I, I really empathize with you in those types of situations because you kind of become a little bit like an IT person as well. Yeah. And a bunch of different, you're an IT person. You're a therapist. You're a counselor. You're a whole bunch of things as a producer. You're a coffee runner. <laughs> kind of, kind of going back to you know the the whole confidence thing and whatnot. Like, do you feel as a producer that your voice is being heard, or do you feel like sometimes you're kind of in the background? And you know, because I I'm talking to you about MMA, and you have a lot of knowledge, and and I've I've seen you on uh, talking in the ringer, um, and, and being a part of that, and. Do you feel like do you feel like when you're a producer that your your voice is still being being heard whether it's directly or indirectly? Yeah, I mean, there's a few times where I, I wish I were called upon more. For example, in our uh, UFC 293 reaction show, I didn't speak until about 40 minutes into the show, and Israel is my favorite fighter. I thought I could have said something toward the top that was like, um, you know, like really emotional um, or impactful. 
and my number didn't get called. And and that's fine. I'm not stewing over it. I'm just giving you an example where, yeah, there's times where I wish I were called upon sooner. But at the end of the day, I know I know my role. As a producer, you know your role. You know when to speak up. You only speak when spoken to. Uh, those are just kind of the the rules of producing. But I know I'm capable of having the conversations. I mean, there's times where Ariel is out. And so then I'm a legitimate, you know, the third, the third voice on the show along with PT and Chuck. And I can hold my own. I don't, I feel fully confident in what I'm talking about. Now, when we talk about MMA history and stuff prior to 2019, then I don't really know what I'm talking about. So I just kind of sit out of those conversations. But I'm pretty good at choosing my spots and knowing when I can actually add something of value and not just say something just to have my voice heard because my ego wants me to speak and have a presence on the show. So I, I, I'm pretty good at knowing when to speak. And if I don't get called upon, like, that's fine. I At the end of the day, I know that the impact I want to leave on this world is not my opinions on mixed martial arts. That's not what I, that's not what I want to do. And, and I don't care if the listeners necessarily hear them or not. What I care about is just trying to make the world a better place. And I don't know if MMA opinions does that. <laughs> you're kind of like, I was thinking to myself, I mean, I hate to make this comparison, but you're kind of like the chat GPT of MMA. It's like, you got a certain period of time that you can, huh. can react to, you know, I've never uh, heard that before. Well, I'm going to go with that. I'm putting yeah, that in my yeah, Insta bio. Yeah, yeah, just put that in the bio, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I, actually, this this does this does kind of uh, go go to something that I thought was interesting, which I have seen um, that you said that you know MMA podcasts. That's kind of my job, but mm. you know it's not really what I'm 100 percent passionate about. And I'm just curious. Yeah. So, like, you know, what are like like you have your 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 podcast found generation you're trying to speak to you know all ages but in particular you know when you're in your 20s and you're trying to you know figure things out is this is this really what gives your yourself purpose and and what you're most passionate about is trying to help people yeah absolutely i have such a good life i'm so grateful for it for all the people the places the jobs the accomplishments the money the whatever you, the, the list goes on um, and I just want other people to share in the happiness that I have and there's just not enough happiness in this world. And I think there should be way more. And I think a lot of reason for that unhappiness is because of our own undoing or, or our own doing our, our own mindsets and our own flaws that we're not necessarily addressing. And so that's why on my, in my book and on my podcast, I, I try to get at those things and I think about these things all the time. Yeah, MMA podcasting is is just what I do for work. It's what pays the bills and puts food on the table. And I like it enough and enjoy it enough and who I work with. And I enjoy watching the fights. I enjoy fight nights. And I love serving the audience, the, the diehard MMA supportive audience. I love serving all of you guys. But when I think about what really drives me and use, use the word passion and what passion really is, is suffering the the root word of passion is passio which in latin means suffering so when you ask what is your passion it's well what are you willing to suffer for and when i think of suffering i think okay well what am i willing to put in long nights early mornings weekends give up holidays for well what what am i willing to sacrifice for mma podcasting is not that thing i i thought that it might and so i went all in on it for a while then I realized that that's not the thing. And I still love it. But I went on vacation a couple of weeks ago 
didn't do it for 10 days, came back and was like, you know what? If I didn't do another MMA podcast again, I, I, I would be fine. Whereas if I go stretches without doing the found generation podcast without writing, I don't feel like me. I, I don't feel whole. And I don't even make any money on that. And I still just, I, I have to do it. It's just this thing in me that I have to get out. I want to make people's lives better. I want to write and I want to think and I want to speak to the masses about how to live the best life. You only get one shot at this thing. And it's on all of us to live the best life as possible. And so I want people to realize that if you are unhappy, if you are stuck, that there is a better life for you out there. There, there is a path. And I just want to give people a, kick in the butt and hopefully some inspiration to get there it made me think of you know we're all humans we're not niches as much yeah. as we try to own a certain corner and and like with this podcast right here i'm kind of trying to do like boxing and mma but i've talked to my friends and they're like well that's cool and everything but you like other stuff too right and mm. i i think it's easy to yeah, try to be in this box um, as far as, you know, this is what you do and this is your job. But then in reality, you know, we're all human. We all have many different interests and some things we're expert in and some things we're not. And we're just all trying to experience things together. I just wanted to say um, the reason I kind of came across you, um, I, I think I, I'm trying to remember 100 percent, but I think Ariel plugged your Substack in the past. Mm -hmm. Um and I wanted to know, because I've heard you be mentioned this nickname a lot, and where does TST come from? <laughs> yeah, um, Tight Ship Troy is what it stands for. I don't know if people know that, but that's what it stands for. So this comes from the ESPN days. So this was when I just started working with Ariel, and I was super corporate, uh, just doing the ESPN thing and listening to my bosses. My bosses has all sorts of philosophies on, on podcasting. And it was, you know, they were showing me data, statistics. Hey, if, if your podcast is over 50 minutes, if it's over 55 minutes, like your listeners drop off at the 52-minute mark, so maybe you want to consider making this a 45-minute podcast. So I was throwing all sorts of analytics at Ariel. And being on him like, hey, we've got five minutes left. Let's wrap it up. And he's nowhere close to wrapping up. And so he just got annoyed with me and how strict I was being. Because Ariel had never had someone like me before. He had just, before ESPN, he was just freewheeling, doing his own thing. Didn't really answer anyone. Hey, yeah, you want to do the MMA hour for six hours today? Yeah, let's go. No problem. And so he just kind of uh, jokingly was like annoyed with the the tight ship that I that I was running, which he had never been subjected to before. So it just kind of stuck. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the name. I think I've outgrown it because I don't think I run a tight ship anymore. I think I run a very loose ship. So I, I had, a, I had a, a movement there to call me Loose Ship Troy. And so only a couple people, you know, if you know, you know, as Dana White says, know me as LST. But yeah, TST, that, that's how it started. I actually, that's that's a really good story, and I, I think that shows like <laughs> your your character development, if, if I will. Like, oh, that yeah, truly yeah, yeah. was how you were at the beginning. I mean, yeah, I definitely don't get that vibe from you, and uh, yeah, I definitely also, and and I want, I mean, this is a compliment, and everything I've seen you do, I do see a genuine authenticity. I see that you're really enjoying the conversations. You have a really great smile. You like to show that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, you have a really good energy. 
Um, so, so yeah, I'm glad maybe L- LST that's, that's the new nickname. Yeah. If any. Make it happen. Hashtag. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, listen, I, I want to just, just kind of go more into, um, your, your podcast, um, talking more about the found generation. I'm 20, 26 years old, uh, and you're oh, well. 27. Yeah. Okay. Um, just just listening to a few of your your episodes, following up with the Substack, I just want to say I really resonate with a lot of the things that you're talking about, and in in particular, one thing that I've kind of come to know myself, but also appreciate that you're bringing up is your you know the problem with having high expectations on people, and mm-hmm. the idea that you were talking about. Um, if you if you kind of assume that maybe things aren't going to work out and then they do you're kind of more surprised and you're not let down right where do you get some of these difficult lessons from because i, I don't think that they would come that easily yeah so a lot of these lessons that i write about in the book uh substack a lot of it has come from life experience or conversations with other people observations, reading, writing, traveling the world and seeing how people interact. Uh, That one in particular about raising your standards, lowering your expectations, um, that's come from my own experience. I've gotten screwed over a lot in my life. My my biggest pet peeve is when people cancel on me, uh, when people commit to something and then they don't follow through with it. And for a number of years, I was just getting so upset by that. People just keep screwing me over, stabbing me in the back, canceling on me, letting me down at at the moment that I need them the most. They're the one in particular in 2018, when I was working at ESPN, my first year at ESPN really sucked. I was really depressed. I was really skinny and sickly and my hours sucked and I didn't like the job I was doing. I was miserable. And I had a friend who was going to college 30, 40 minutes away. And the enti- in that entire year, I kept asking this friend, like, please just give me 30 minutes. I know you're busy. I know it's your senior year. Just please give me 30 minutes. I just need to see someone. I just need some sense of normalcy and familiarity. I've just uprooted my life and I just want to see you. And this friend wouldn't see me, kept making excuses, kept committing to something and fall and, or, or making excuses saying that they were busy. And I'm like, come on, you have 30 minutes. I will come to you. I will buy the sandwich. Like, so I got really upset by that. And I was tired <laughs> of being so upset by these things. So I, I made the conscious decision to, you know what? I'm going to adopt this mantra that like people suck. People are going to let you down. That's kind of in their nature because people aren't always like me. I don't screw people over. I follow through. I go the extra mile for people. But then I realize, you know what? Maybe everyone else isn't like me. Maybe everyone else doesn't hold themselves to the same standards. So instead, I'm going to lower my expectations for everyone else around me so that when they do screw me over, when they do not follow through or show up for me, I'm going to expect that of them. And then when they do come through for me, when they do say yes, it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. You came through. But if you expect them to cancel on you, you're not actually upset by it when they do. Now, the pushback I've heard on this, this philosophy is that, well, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a dark, pessimistic way to view the world. Yes, it is. Uh, however, 
other than that, I love people. I'm a very optimistic person. I love life. I love the world. Like I love going out and doing things. But I do think as a self-preservation measure, it is a good idea, a very practical idea to detach yourself and say, you know what? Not everyone is like you. Don't sink to their standards. Raise your standards for yourself, but lower them for everyone else. I think when you were talking about, because um, I have seen um, some discussion of this, but I, I do realize, you know, everybody's dream is to work at ESPN. Yeah. But when you're a PA for a radio station, radio part, and you're working these night shifts, and mon- is it Mondays and Tuesdays you had off? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that wasn't that wasn't your your idea of was that your idea of what ESPN was going to be like? Like, did you have to face this reality that you were being maybe sold something that wasn't actually the case? Not necessarily. When I took the position, I knew what I was getting myself into. I, I guess, I mean, I didn't realize how hard it would be. I mean, it was my first job out of college, and I graduated college a year early. So at age 21, I'm starting my career at ESPN when all of my friends are out partying. <laughs> They're all enjoying their senior year, and I'm in central Connecticut pushing buttons at 1 a.m. on a Saturday night, and I'm watching Snap stories, and everyone's taking shots off the bar. So that was a rude awakening for me. Um, I didn't expect it to be as hard as it was lifestyle-wise. The job, aside from the job, it was the, wow, I didn't know what to expect. Living in central Connecticut, not knowing anyone, not knowing how to make friends on my own outside of a school setting. I'd never done that before. I never really thought about what my hobbies were. I was an athlete and I was a singer. And so I did all that in high school and college. But then I was like, well, wait, I'm not these things anymore. How do I identify? So I had to ask myself, wait, what are my, what are my interests? What am I into? What are my hobbies that don't involve sports? And so I had to really ask myself, all right, what do I like to do? And I came to the realization, okay, I really like traveling. I don't have any money. So how can I do that without any money? So I just vowed to travel every corner of Connecticut, see every mountain, every trail. I saw 60 of 85 breweries in the state because I decided that I liked craft beer and that $7 beers was a good way to spend my money. This is my way of balling out. I developed a love for coffee and I developed a love for eating really well and healthy and of course exercise, but doing it in in maybe different ways. And so I just had to really for the first time self-reflect and ask myself, who am I? What do I want for my life? I never really done those things because I had been so go, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve my entire life. And it was at this point where things kind of slowed down, where in my non-working hours, I had to ask myself, wait, what do I want? <laughs> so I wasn't really thinking about any of that uh, when I headed off to ESPN at first. I have some some friends like like we're in journalism class and they're saying like, what's your dream? And they're saying the, 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 the fastest path is a straight line and, you know, trying to find like a way um, to get into your dream job, but in a different way. Um, like mm-hmm. I get some people that are really in, they want to get into TSN. They really like hockey. They like all these different other sports. Um, would you have any recommendations? Like actually, I got one guy that's in my class, he, the ringer. He he put that as his dream job. Do you wow. have any recommendations for 
people <laughs> like that are in school right now or they're they're just coming out and they really want to get into it it's a couple couple ideas um we'll start with this one because i because i you know i do this myself um when you're not getting the opportunities you want create your own the world today is is so much set up for people to take control of their own story and their own narrative you can upload stuff to TikTok, to reels to youtube to spotify for podcasting right now and tell your own story get your own reps put you don't need the middleman anymore you can do it all yourself and you can do it all for cheap and without having that much experience if you want to get into this business one day and be like in the seat that i am in right now just get creating right now. Stop waiting for other people to give you opportunities to create. Just go create your own stuff because when you do that, you're really invested in it. Your name is on it. Everyone knows it's you doing the thing. You're going to make mistakes because you don't have the experience, but those mistakes will hurt because you'll be so embarrassed by, oh, I didn't press record or, oh, that looked bad. Oh, that sounded bad. Oh, God, why did I say that? You make the mistakes then you won't make them again because you've learned from them after you felt the sting of it. And then you just keep getting better and better. And then when you are getting to jobs and, and whatnot, you can say, look at this thing that I've been working on. Maybe it doesn't have this massive audience, but I can do the work. I have the skills. I just know that once I get into a bubble like yours, it will actually be seen. So you can do that. There's the other thing, which is you know what I used on my way up was just keep showing up. Keep being persistent, um, pleasantly persistent, sending emails, but with a with a nice, kind tone, following up kindly, playing the game the right way, asking people that you admire, that you aspire to be like, asking them to get a cup of coffee or pick up the phone or go over the Zoom. It's so easy to communicate and people love doing things like that. People love telling their stories. Listen to them. Don't make it all about you. If when you're networking, don't say, hey, what can you do for me? Like, don't frame it as that kind of conversation. Just frame it as, I want to learn from you. I, I I admire you. I'm a fan of your work or people like you. I just want to learn from you. Ask them questions, the things that you're curious about and listen. Listening is so important. Just listen to that person, have a conversation, make a connection, send follow-ups. Not, not again, not from a place of asking anything, but it's from a place of, you know, you want to have a genuine connection with someone. And that's done me wonders. I, I'm not where I am today without having done those things. I know, I know you, you were a history, a history major, right? Yep. And, yep. uh, that, that was to, to go from a history major. And I think you were, were you doing, um, were you doing some, some broadcasts as a junior? Yeah, I mean, I was doing uh, broadcasting stuff throughout college, um, my three years there, student newspapers, student radio, student television. Okay. So you you, you definitely had, okay, I'm just, I just trying to piece that together. So you definitely had, um, you know, d despite what your major was, you were putting, making your opportunities, as you said. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have the the classroom experience really i grew up in a media family so that was kind of my education and the best education in journalism is doing the work more so than the classroom 
I don't think you you necessarily need the X's nose. Also, like the X's nose of journalism are kind of going out the window these days anyway. Like there's so many things that you couldn't do back in the day that you now can do that's totally fine. So I don't even know how valuable, sorry to break it to you, oh, like the okay. in-person uh, stuff is. It's all about getting the experience, getting your hands dirty, learning how, what to do, what not to do, making the mistakes. That's where I cut my teeth. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a wild journey. It's always It's always fun when people are like, U.S. history major, MMA podcasting? That doesn't make sense. Um, now, you're an author. I wanted to kind of... Yes, sir. I wanted to kind of spend a little bit of our last bits of time uh, talking about your uh, new book. came out last month, August 18th. Surrender, a guide to your living your best life in your 20s. How does it feel to have your first book out there? feels so amazing, Matt. Um, when I first got this, I got a, an advanced author copy a couple weeks before it came out. And the emotion that I felt just putting my hands on it and feeling it and feeling how legit it feels and how legit it looks. It's an actual book. It was sitting on my computer screen for a couple of years as a Google document, never knowing whether it was going to be published, never knowing whether I was going to have the courage, the confidence to put the finishing touches on it, to go through all the rounds of edits, to design a book cover, to make a marketing plan, to come up with a title, to get the blurbs, to publish it, to go through the entire publishing process. Do I self-publish? Do I go through a big five publishing house? Are they going to tell me no and that I suck and that I have no business writing about these things? All of those things went into my mind. And when I finally got to see the book, it was just this incredible moment of, wow, I did it. And um, it's dedicated to um, one of my best friends, Deanna Rivers. On the dedication page, it says, this one is for you, D. Uh, Deanna is no longer with us. Uh, she was killed tragically in a car accident 11 years ago. And when she died, I, I made a pact with myself that for the rest of my life, I was going to use my unique abilities that I have. And for me, that's self-expression in the forms of writing, of speaking, of podcasting, I guess. I didn't know it at the time, but um, I was going to use those talents to honor her forever. And I always knew I wanted to write a book. And I always knew that when I wrote that first book that I would dedicate it to her. And that's what I'm most proud of is that I did it. And I know that she's proud of me. And I'm so happy that I got to dedicate it to her, um, just like I'll dedicate everything else I do. I think that's very beautiful of you to have the forward and the dedication and then also sharing how you've made this pact with yourself and with her as far as how you want to live the rest of your life. Um, is this is this still something that that's very difficult for you to, to talk about? Yeah, um, I think about her every day. Um, it's an event the the accident 11 years ago that profoundly changed not only my life but her family's lives and all the other people in the accident in our entire town and upstate new york was was rocked by this event it shaped all of us in a way but it changed my life in, in the sense that i realized that life is short i obviously like i knew that and, and you hear it and it's cliche but then I, I realized it like oh my gosh i saw her the night before and i had no idea that that was going to be the last time I would ever say hi to her or, or, or bye to her. Um, so I leave every interaction now knowing that 
this could be the last time I ever see someone. And so I, I hug a bit harder. I, I tell people I love them. This is why I go to any and all lengths to see my friends and, and do things for people because I don't know when I'm going to get that chance again. I might not ever do that again. Um, it's why I just go for it. It's why I take risks. It's why I do what feels in my heart, even though sometimes I feel like what I'm doing on my podcast or what I'm writing is, is a bit cringeworthy. And I'm like, ah, why am I saying this? And I remind myself, this is what's in your heart. This is your message. This is what you think. Don't be worried about the insecurity and how it's going to be perceived and what people might think of you. This is what you believe. Get your message out there because it's authentically you, like she would want me to be. Um, I don't hold grudges against people. There's been plenty of people who have screwed me over, and I don't want people um, to leave my life and, and have my last thought of them being that screaming match that we had about something utterly insignificant. Um I think about her all the time. I miss her. I love her. Um, our time was cut way too short, but I know she's watching over me and that she's proud of me and I'm going to continue living for her. And and thank you for sharing that because I know that that's not easy to be talking about her. I, I know that it's very important also that you talk about her because of how important she is to, to you and in, in, in your life. And, and I had actually seen uh, you'd done some uh, alongside others and some great work in her honor. I uh, believe it was Deanna's uh, dugout. Yeah. It also done a, was it a baseball um, tournament as well? Yes. Yes. That's still going still every going. year. Yeah. That's in, is that in the, um, it's in the 518. 518. Yep. And, and like, I, I really um, think that it's very rare for someone to have the conviction that you have as far as, you know, taking a negative experience, a tragic experience and trying to use it in a positive way as far as wanting to, for your rest of your relationships and, and people you interact with wanting to have meaningful, you know, just not having any grudges and that stuff. Um, I, I haven't had that experience necessarily, but, when I had lost my, my nan, when I was only 10 years old, um, I had realized then that, uh, our time on this earth is limited. And, uh, in a strange way, um, with that loss, it allowed me to appreciate life a lot, a lot more. And I'm not sure in, in that way, in that respect, if, if, if anything that I just said kind of resonates with, with what had happened with, with you. Yeah, there's, um, you only get one shot at this. Why are we, <clears throat> why are we acting like we have so much time? Father time always wins. The second you wake up, you're dying. You're dying every day with every passing second. We're never going to have this second and this second and this second again. Do what you want to do. Chase your passions. Fail big. Go for it. Go for the girl. Go for the job. Go for that thing you want. And be grateful for everything that you get. You're a human being. For me, I'm a, I think I'm the luckiest person in the world. I have a great job. 
I live in a great place. Uh, I've got a lot of great friends. Um, a lot of people who love me. My family loves me. My parents are together. They love me. Um, I've got a flourishing relationship uh, romantically that I'm really excited about. Congrats. My, thank you. My, my coworkers are awesome. Um, I get to travel the world. I've got big trips coming up uh, in the next couple of months that I'm so excited about. I'm a white man in the United States of America. I mean, how I'm the most privileged, lucky person in the world. What do I have to complain about? So I'm constantly just reminding myself when, when I have a bad day, when something, when something unfortunate happens, I just remind myself and I don't wallow in it too long. And I'd like, that's the worst thing that happened to you today that your audio didn't record on the podcast. Now you have to do it again. That's your big problem. Got it. So good. Is this is this some real life experience? Uh, talk? Yeah, that happened to me today. Okay, that happened to me okay. today. Oof, oof. <laughs> I oof, oof. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Hey, I learned from it, and it won't happen again. That's and that's and and, and all the bad things. This accident, what you experienced at age ten, you gotta take the good from the bad. Otherwise, the bad just really sucks. Then, um, obviously, I'm not glad that Deanna was killed that night no one is i would take her back in a heartbeat but i have managed to learn from it and take an incredible amount of good that i'm now trying to pour back into the world to teach the people the lessons that no one had taught me do you feel kind of going back to mma podcasting and then what you're doing with found generation and even with your book surrender do you feel like you're you have all this um experience and insight that you want to give to people because in in a, in a way you you really sympathize with the common the common person and 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 their experience yeah absolutely absolutely i've been in places in my life where i didn't think it was going to get better where I thought I was stuck, where I was hopeless, where I couldn't see a path forward. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. I've been miserable. I've been lonely. I've been depressed. I still deal with these things from time to time. I just got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes out of nowhere. I spent 48 hours in the hospital. Like what? I've been in a lot of the places that people are currently finding themselves in. I'm out of that place. I might fall, I might fall back into it at some point. But I've now got the kind of this toolkit that I can go to to kind of prevent me from getting there. Or if I do get there, getting out of it pretty quickly. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give that toolkit. I'm trying to tell people how to avoid hitting rock bottom or to how, how to use rock bottom as, as an opportunity to spring you forward to even bigger and better heights than the ones that you have already reached. I just want to help people live their best lives, this one life that you get. And that's what I'm going to continue doing for the rest of my life in, in many different forms. We're, we're just getting close to time, um, Troy. So what I wanted to say to you really is thank you so much for coming on the podcast, um, for sharing, for sharing, uh, your particular story as well as the story of others, um, talking about your experience and, and again, I feel like a student and I'm, and I'm still learning and, and truthfully these types of conversations, I will 
hold with me and take with me the rest of my career. So I really appreciate the, the opportunity. Yeah, that's the goal. Thank you for, for having me on. And I wish you the best of luck in everything you're doing. It's awesome that you're doing in this show, that you're chasing after what you want, whatever it is that you want. Um, it's really awesome. I'm really happy for you, Matt. Thank you so much. And guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Troy is somebody who's connected to a lot of people that I can appreciate. And more than that, I really love the level of conviction he has, in particular when he was talking about his friend Deanna Rivers, who passed away tragically due to an accident in 2012. And I think it's really rare for a person uh, to want to continue somebody else's legacy through their body of work. I thought that was really beautiful how he put it that way. And I really just love the fact that he was able to give that kind of insight as far as, you know, he has a job that a lot of people would admire. He's, he's, he's connected with all these great people. But in the end of the day, it's like he said, he doesn't want to be somebody that's known for his opinions to MMA, but he wants to make a difference. He wants to help people. He's got also, um, you know, the Found Generation podcast. He's got this book, Surrender. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. And I think there's going to be a lot of great lessons that I will have by, from reading this book because I have listened to, or sorry, I have read his Substack in the past and found that a lot of the things that he's said um, resonate with me. And I hope they resonate with you guys. So without further ado, guys, as always, if you're liking this podcast and you're listening to it on your preferred podcasting platform, you can subscribe. And then that way, when a new episode comes out, you won't miss it. You can also leave a rating, an honest one. And if you're watching it on YouTube, you can, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Good People, Bad Intentions. And you can leave a like, a comment, as well as a share. All these things help. And as always, guys, whatever time you're listening to this episode, whatever you're doing, maybe you're watering your plants, maybe you're just having a good time and you're just taking a break from from your studies. Um, I really appreciate it and I hope you're having a good day and I look forward to having you guys come back and hearing another episode again. So take care, guys. As always, peace. Yo, the ring general, sweet science, deep like a mineral. You can see the hunger in my interviews. Peep the interlude, this is just a preview. Give you all I got, put the past in the rear view. My team ready, the theme steady. Got bad intentions like I seem petty. Still a good dude, stay humble, never messy. Never crumble under pressure, I'm shining like God bless me.